0: Welcome to the Charlotte is Creative Podcast. Today's show features hosts Tim Miner and Matt Olin speaking with Peter Reinhart, baker, author, educator, and chef on assignment at Johnson & Wales University, immediately following the June 1st Creative Morning Charlotte event at the Fillmore Charlotte, where Peter spoke about the global theme of craft. Peter Reinhardt has been chef on assignment at Johnson & Wales for 14 years and prior to that was a full-time instructor at the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco. Peter has authored 10 books, including The Joy of Gluten-Free, Sugar-Free Baking and Bread Revolution. He has also won the International Gourmand Award for Best Baking Book and several James Beard Awards, including Book of the Year for Bread Baker's Apprentice. In this episode of the Charlotte's Creative Podcast, Peter talks about his upbringing in Philadelphia and falling in love with cheesesteaks. He also talks about the negative portrayal of TV chefs, whether or not you can be born a chef, how vital passion is, and the effect of Johnson & Wales University on the Charlotte culinary scene. Register for the next Creative Morning Charlotte event Friday, July 13th at 8.30am at the Fillmore Charlotte. The featured speaker will be Bryce Lager, owner of Basil Coffee, the recently opened coffee shop at Laka Projects, speaking about the global theme of intention. RSVPs will open at 9 a.m. Monday, July 9th. Don't forget to use the hashtag CharlotteIsCreative and tweet us at CM underscore CLT whenever you see Charlatans showing their creativity.
1: We, I told I told Annie to roll because we were doing good stuff. Oh, okay.
2: okay, okay. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, welcome to the Charlotte's Creative Podcast. I'm Matt Olin. I'm Tim Miner. Okay, very good. And we are here with Peter Reinhardt, who just spoke at our June 1st Creative Mornings event on our global theme of craft. Welcome, Peter. It was Peter. a great morning. Thank you. Thank you so it much. It was so amazing. I mean, he was up there talking about... The craft of, of you know, and the quest for the perfect pizza and che- juicy cheese steaks, and like I don't know about the rest of the crowd, but <laughs> I was starving. I was absolutely I, starving as you were talking.
3: I was talk. in like uh, a my work here is done. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
1: I'll be in a I'll be in a, a food coma later on today, just <laughs> thinking about the speech. It was awesome.
2: So, you know, Peter is um, a really really well known chef around Charlotte and and around the world. He's the chef on assignment at Johnson and Wales University. Um, you've been there for 11 years, right?
3: Well, 14 now, believe oh, 14 it or not. Oh, 14 years. Yeah. Holy I was cow. the first chef uh, to arrive when we opened the campus. I actually got here... 9 months before we opened I was I was the kind of the advanced team and my job was to go out and interact with the community yeah. and introduce Johnson & Wales to the community because I was because of my books people knew a little bit I was it was a foot in the door and so they called me the chef on assignment meaning I was assigned from our Providence campus to come down here and and it worked out so well that we decided to stay and we love Charlotte
2: That's so cool. Well, I think where I mixed up the 14 and the 11 is because you've you've written 11 books oh, 11 books, yeah. on bread, food food, uh, Food and culture, and of course pizza, which has been the big focus. And the this twelfth morning.
3: one is: uh, I'm going next week to shoot the photos for a twelfth one on pan pizzas—pizzas pizzas that are baked oh, in pans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pan which, could, pizza. which I think is going to be the next big pizza yeah, you, you category. G- you
1: gave us a little—you gave us a little bit about that when we when we we're meeting for that's right. For this. That's right. Yeah.
2: Because oh, the pan, you know, the pan pizzas that I've had before, which are probably not the artisan, artisanal uh, pizzas that you're uh, exploring, but it, there's something about the crust where it's. Crispy and buttery, yeah, almost. Yeah. And is that is that sort yeah. of a hallmark? When it's done pizza? right,
3: yeah, then the the underside should be like almost like you're eating hot buttered yeah. toast. It, yeah. it has that crackly, yes, toffee like yes. quality. And then it's usually chewy and, I mean, gooey yep. and cheesy and, uh, and again, it's like a heart attack waiting to happen, and but you don't care. You don't care. Right. Yeah, it's the you best. You gotta way to live go. for something.
2: I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> and you gotta die for by something. By the way, I have to say,
3: I, I uh, take a stand. <laughs> I really,
1: listening to you speak, I really thought, you know, one one thought came to mind, which was, I picked the wrong month to go on a gluten free diet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we
2: have a question about gluten. We'll get to the question about gluten. You've won We've a got something of- for you. Yes, <laughs> we, we, we we you've got a bunch of James Beard Award uh, awards under your belt. I mean, you just just a really really um, admirable career that's still just just, you're just crushing it out there. Thank and you. So um, It's a real honor to have you on the Creative Morning stage and to have you on the podcast today. I uh,
3: appreciate it. I've, yeah. I've been in love with uh, Creative Mornings ever since my first time coming. Up. Over a year ago, I started coming, yeah. and I went, wow, there's something special happening here, yeah. and I'd like to be a part of it. Yeah. So.
2: Well, consider yourself in the family now. You. Yeah, so, uh, you are, you are, uh,
1: you, You're in the mafia now, the creative mafia. <laughs> yep,
2: yep. And Marcus we love to, whereas many podcasts end with a sort of a lightning round, we like to begin with a lightning oh, round. Cool. So we're going to throw a bunch of questions Questions at you that you don't have to think about. You just say whatever comes out of oh, your should mouth. Should I have some more coffee for? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and then we'll and then we'll spend a few minutes diving into some deeper uh, questions uh, about uh, all of the the theme of craft that we're exploring this month. So let's start with this. This is a softball. What is your hometown?
3: I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: All right. What was your high school mascot? The Ram.
2: Oh, nice. the Rams. Yeah, the
3: Harriton Rams.
2: Well, we're and Chapel I'm, Hill boys.
3: Yeah, oh, as,
1: as Chapel Hill there grads, that, that hits us right in the heart. And by the
3: way, I'm going back in October for the 50th reunion of my high school class. Oh, wow. wow! wow. I know, it's a little scary. That number kind of is freaking me out. Freaks you a little bit? But yeah.
2: It's all right, it's all right. Um, what was your first cooking job, and what age were you at for that?
3: Uh, first professional cooking job was right after college. I fell in with a group of hippies in Boston, and we opened a v- <laughs> organic vegetarian uh restaurant called Root 1 Cafe R O O T Root 1 with a yes. big carrot as our logo <laughs> and uh and it was perfect for me at that time it was I was so counterculture and this was before organics and you know everything was happening the way it is now and so we were kind of uh you know Pathfinders in on the East Coast it was yeah. it was kind of bringing a little bit of California yeah. to the East. so I learned how to cook there and I found that's where I found out that I really loved cooking because I didn't know how to cook other than you know being you know making some things at home I didn't know that this was something that I could do and I never thought of it even then as a career I thought right. of it as you know just sort of a, a fun diversion in yeah my, and, and eventually I was going to be a famous filmmaker you know yeah, <laughs> oh, I right? was, well, was a film major at, at Boston oh, University no at kidding, no yeah. kidding.
1: that's what wow. we can get into later too I mean I think the the notion of making being a, a cook or a chef, a career, does seem to have changed quite a bit. Yes. over the last you know, but also couple I
2: love that. That and I love how you, what you originally thought your path was going to be and and what became your path are now mashing up That's in right. certain projects like Pizza Quest and yeah. things like that. Yes, yeah, so so it's funny cool. how it
3: comes full circle because because yeah. I had another diversion. You know, I went off to seminary and I decided be, I went from being a, a a good Jewish boy to somehow in my in my twenties. Uh, slowly going sort of an, on an eastern journey through all the yogas and meditations, and somehow ended up as a Christian. And when I called my dad to tell him that I was getting ready to join the seminary, he went, "What?" He said, "He said, what, what about your your writing and film you know aspirations?" And I said, "I'm going to put. I'm just going to have to trust that if it's meant to be, it'll happen. But I'm I've got to follow this path that's opening up for me." And then he said to me, "Look," he said, "I'm a little speechless here." He said, "As as a as Jewish guy, I know that." Uh, there's a long tradition of the oldest son being dedicated to God and usually that's the one who will go off he said and so I can handle that but if you're going to you know, become religious. Couldn't you have just been a rabbi? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, it just didn't work that way for me. <laughs> well, I- I- in a way, you, be- you became
1: a preacher of pizza. You know, the pastor, pizza pastor. <laughs> That's go. right. There
3: you go. <laughs> I'm going to add that to my shirt here. <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, exactly. there was there was a sermon about pizza today, and you
2: converted a lot of people <laughs> that were in our crowd. Definitely. Um, all right, so... What? And my one was no. Can we just can you know? Can we just brush the host with a little bit of olive oil? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Is there something we can do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, uh, pre pre blast
3: pre blast. right.
1: when the when the when the traffic now, sign. says... Now we're says, getting into cable
3: yeah. television land. <laughs> yeah. I, uh,
1: when the sign says heresy ahead, you need to take you need to take a left or a right. <laughs> You're all right. right. I love Annie. Fork Annie, in the road.
3: <laughs>
1: um, all right. So the, this is funny. You can't write these. I mean, this true. this was the next question. So. What's your favorite movie about cooking? Oh, about food! About the culinary profession.
3: You know what? Well, there's so many that are good, uh, but but I I think one of my favorite ones, just from sheer entertainment, is Ratatouille. Mm -hmm. I think it's brilliant. I think even though it's a cartoon, it's really one of the best food movies ever made because there's so much love. You know, uh, for the for the art and craft of cooking in that, right. uh, so he captured it. And of course, there's been some more recent ones like uh, what's the one chef, chef. Uh, and all that. Yeah, uh, the hundred hundred foot journey and whatever. You know, all those were good. Uh, there was a wonderful film that came out. I'm going to say thirty some years ago, uh, Babette's Feast. Yeah, which was very slow. Not wouldn't it wouldn't work for today's you know like uh, uh, short attention span people, but. Uh, it was For me, it, w- it really affected me, affected my perspective of food. Yeah. And it was re- written by uh, uh, Isaac Dennison uh, yeah. based on a short story she wrote. And the short story is r- very readable. It's only like 20 pages, and it's really worth reading. The movie was very well done, but you have to have patience with it because it really pays off slowly. Yeah. It simmers. Night. I've
1: actually seen parts of it. I remember so. a movie called...
2: Big night. oh my god I was just about to say oh, big yeah. night right? yeah. I love yes. big Nate everybody yeah. loves big night I yeah. mean that that also has that very romantic yes. uh sort of capturing of the of, uh, and, and passion and love for for cooking and, yeah and, and that, you that great just taste the movie
3: you could and then that great relationship between the two brothers yeah. And, yeah. and that scene at the end where they make the eggs which has become kind of an iconic scene now that everybody refers to uh as a as a way to wrap up a film in a, a unique unique fashion it was a brilliant film yeah
1: and I'm with you on chef too I think that was an under-scene Film, and there are aspects of it I don't love. But 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 when they get into him, really, you know, picking the picking the meat and and teaching his son—I mean, it is—you can just taste that.
3: I I tell you, all the students at Johnson and Wales have seen it, so it's not underseen by them. That—that's one of the films. Kind of like Anthony Bourdain was his book, not his TV show, but his book uh, *Kitchen Confidential* was like a game-changing book for a lot of our students. Uh, That movie was one that brought a lot of the. The current students probably into thinking about becoming chefs. That's awesome.
2: Wow, so cool. Um, Peter, what's your favorite kind of bread?
3: Well, I have a favorite bread. It's one I developed at my bakery. When because I had a in, in in the course of all these you know journeys, uh, my wife and I had a restaurant and bakery in uh, Sonoma County, California, uh, called Brother Juniper's Bakery. It was named after this uh, legendary monk who followed Saint Francis. It was all is is he's known for his generosity and hospitality. And we dedicated this restaurant. It was really kind of a ministry that uh, to get create jobs for kids in our town. And by then I had become interested in bread baking. I wasn't really didn't think of it as a career path, but we started making breads. And one bread I developed was called Struan, S-T-R-U-A-N, which uh, it's a multi-grain bread, a harvest bread. Uh, traditionally associated with the festival of Michaelmas, or Michaelmas, as they yeah. would say in, in Scotland. And so it was a Scottish bread, and it was and there's a whole great story behind it, but it's not made anymore. We just read about it, I'd heard about it, it kind of fit in with, with the studies I was doing in terms of tradition and its role in current society. And so I decided to make my own version of it, and it took me three or four years of just doing it as an amateur just for fun, uh, once a year for our harvest fair, fair that we had, um, and I kept improving it and improving it. And then, like, right before we opened the restaurant, I kind of pulled all the pieces together. I mixed this dough. I'm looking at the dough in the mixer. And I called my wife over and I said, Sue, I got it. I have nailed it. I, t- I found the right balance of, of you know, different kinds of flours and and the sweeteners and buttermilk and all this stuff. And she, she, we look at it and she said, how do you know? It's going to be good. You haven't even baked it yet. And I said, just look at this dough. It's so beautiful. And she looked at it and she says did you write it down? <laughs> and I went, whoops. You know? And so I had to go back, try to remember everything I just did, and then we did it again the next day, and we nailed it. And we, and I, I don't think I've ever improved on that. I've made 30 different versions of this since, and they're all very, very good, but I don't think I've ever improved more. And that bread, for the three years that we ran the cafe part, the restaurant part of our business, every day we would start the day off with two slices of toast with some local jam, a glass of juice, and that was our breakfast. And I just... It just Emotionally, I'm very connected to that one. And then I found out afterwards when I when I wrote my first book, which is about the bakery that we built, uh, and that became the centerpiece of the baker- of the book. It was the Struan bread um, that I, we went to Scotland actually, and and went to the Edinburgh Library and and looked it up and researched it. And the word Struan we found actually, in addition to being the name of a clan, a Scottish clan, um, uh, and if you ever read uh, any of those, uh, there's a uh, some a series of books by the guy who wrote, um, oh, uh, James Clavell. He wrote a whole bunch of it. There's a character named Dirk Struin. That's how I knew the name. But anyway, Struan is uh, actually means in Gaelic a convergence or confluence of streams. Huh. And so this is a bre- bread that has like 12 ingredients in it, as opposed to like uh, French bread that has four ingredients. So it's sort of the opposite of of the of the basic bread it's sort of a bread that symbolizes the plentitude of of life and the harvest but also then i realized when i read that that the, one of the reasons why i was so emotionally connected to it was just because that that bread has become the metaphor of me. I, mm. I realized that w- everything I write about is really about my own journey of this confluence of various streams of my life, which everyone has a confluence yeah. of streams. So it became very special to me, but I love the bread. It wouldn't matter, the, the story wouldn't matter so much if the bread also wasn't great. Yeah. And and that, that's one of the things I learned along the way is this flavor still wins. Story is very important to get everyone's attention, but flavor wins when it comes to food. This, oh, is, yeah. this is killing me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I know. Can we just hit pause and go eat? Uh, and we'll come back and finish. For you, Tim,
3: I have a gluten-free version <laughs> of stew. It has you know, every grain in it, it. it except for uh, wheat. Yes, it's a uh,
2: thirteen-ingredient. Uh, I'm this close to
1: saying bread. How long do I really want to live? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So we were talking about the kind of the modern conception of how how the perception of cooks and and chefs are you know and we've got TV shows aplenty and whole channels about it What, what if anything drives you nuts about how chefs are presented on you know in mass media these days
3: well of course it's interesting cuz things are happening much faster now you know back in the 90s when the food network first came on it started out slowly in fact the food network almost went under uh, because people weren't watching it was too instructional and then and the breakthrough <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the food network was when a producer decided to add music to the emerald show and and turned it into an entertainment show and they said you you know what we're in the entertainment business we're not in the teaching people how to cook business right. but we'll make food the metaphor for the, all this and the and the, the, the leading edge and so entertainment Took over, And so the Food Network became much more entertainment oriented and they found some shows along the way that strike a nice balance like Chopped and all where you get to learn something and be entertained. I think Top Chef is a great example of bringing those, you know, all that together and adding drama to it. So all that's good. But along the way, we've gone through this sort of phase of the bad boy chefs. And now we're seeing that what happens when the shoe drops with the bad boy chefs. Right. Because they're all dropping like flies now because they were really bad and they yeah. were doing bad stuff and getting away with it. And there was this sense of entitlement that exists in Hollywood and everywhere else where there's power. Right. And people that, and chefs started to get pretty full of their egos were just getting fed at a very young age. And that was the biggest mistake I think was just that media started to create a lot of. Superstar chefs who weren't really ready, mature-wise, to be in that position of authority and power. There were already enough historic chefs that were bad boys anyway, but media made it worse. So we went through a phase, and I think it's pretty much coming to an end, where... Where being a bad boy is not going to be rewarded anymore. It's not going to be championed on TV and and all that. Now I think virtue. Well, I'm a you know big fan of virtue. So yeah. with that, but you have to be careful not to make it sound self righteous or yeah. to bore people because it can become boring very fast. But I think that. There, every once in a while, you find somebody who kind of emerges, who embodies the good qualities, you know, and nobility, and mentorship, and things that are that are noble about this this profession. So I think that's coming back. But I think the bad boy era is sort of, you know, is, was bothersome to me, and it's ending.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, my kids. So it's interesting to watch them grow up with, you know, uh, Food Network or or shows like that. Were this place where I couldn't watch one more Disney show but they but they were too young to watch adult programming and and shows about cooking was this perfect sweet spot you know and but my my kids have have shown like the bad boy chef they're not interested in that they want to see like they want to see the love they want to yeah. see somebody truly passionate yeah. about something yeah and just to hear them talk, it's really, it's, it's fun. Now they, they won't eat half the ingredients, but they'll talk about them. You know, like I would add rutabaga to that. I'm like, that's, well,
3: that's interesting. You <laughs> yeah. know, yeah.
1: And you, I'll serve you a rutabaga. No, that sounds, I just want some chicken nuggets. I'm like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we were also talking about, you know, remember when MTV had music videos on? It's kind of like, remember when Food Network had instructional cooking
2: <laughs> right, shows? Right, right.
3: Those dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we're talking about nobility here but we do have another question, very serious question for you Peter. What is your favorite swear word in the kitchen? Cuz you know, we, we all make mistakes as we as we're prepping.
3: Yes, well, uh I I think that, you know, I'm I'm old school so I only have a I have a, a, the old school vocabulary. So I but I think, you know, the the the, the default swear word is always oh shit, you yeah, know? Yep. Because it's so easy to say and and you don't get you don't get thrown under the bus for saying that right. too much. You know? See, old school. If I, go you were the, win- if I do f i f bomb it, then I have to deal with. Wait a minute, aren't, weren't you the former brother Peter? <laughs> Sherlock,
2: you know? I've known some See, brothers who can f bomb way more yeah, than me.
3: Uh,
1: <laughs> when you said old school, I would thought you were going to go way back, like you know, Tarnation or right. something like oh, that. Oh blimey! <laughs> like,
3: <"Tagnabbit."
1: laughs> um, all right, so finish this sentence and I think we know we think we know where you're going but you can surprise us if I weren't a chef I'd be a
3: well i the easy answer would be say a filmmaker but I but think you are a filmmaker Yeah, and, and I, but I think really my my now that I'm kind of in my act three of life I think my goal now is to be able to become a, a successful writer who can who can actually support my family on my writing uh, as opposed to doing it as a sideline yeah
2: um, a couple more lightning round questions, and then, we'll, then we'll shift here. But I'm giving uh, you
3: I'm giving you slow answers to lightning questions.
1: Right, these are <laughs> lightning rounds. Well, watch, watch how we've slowed you down. We're like sitting here fascinated.
2: Well,
3: I am a member of the slow food movement. So.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, what is the best thing to spread on a slice of fresh bread?
3: I believe uh, if it's... My favorite, one of my favorite foods, and and we're seeing this happening society-wise now, is toast cafes are coming yeah. in big time. If it's the right bread, like the Struan bread I was describing before, is one of the, one, the things I love about it. It's the perfect toasting bread. Mm. If I were going to get back into the cafe business, I would open a cafe called the Struan Cafe, and it would be built totally around Struan toast. So toasting it and then putting fresh butter with some local jams. Is all I need. You I'm happy. Can't, you can't improve on yeah, that. Yeah, strawberry jam is still my favorite.
2: Wow. All right.
1: So here's my question What is gluten, and is it a government plot?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so so <laughs> it, it is a plot of some sort, I think, but it's actually, you know, what it actually is is it's protein. That is formed from two proteins that exist in flour, in wheat flour, and a little bit in barley and a little bit in rye, and that's only in those three grains. That um, there's no real gluten in wheat, but there's a gliadin and another protein called glutenin, and neither of them are strong enough to make bread stretchable and to work, you know, to work as as Um, as gluten but when they get wet and they are hydrated with liquid they swell up and they find each other and they bond so like one is really good for stretchability and one is good for elasticity and they kind of wrap around each other and they make this stronger coiled spring-like protein called gluten so it is difficult to digest because it's more complex and that's one of the reasons why we're seeing problems with for some people some people have the, the genetic problem of celiac disease, which means they really can't yeah, that, break no, it down. Other people are having sensitivities to it because their digestive systems have been so compromised by the, the chemicals and the, i might say, more environmental issues and a little bit of some of the hybriding that's going on. But mostly I think, it's, I think we've, been, we've all been damaged by eating foods that, uh, that the crops that they came from were treated with pesticides mm-hmm. or fung- fungicides or things like that. And they go into your, your gut. So I think you're going to see that the next big wave of, uh, of sort of wellness uh, information is going to be about gut health. It's already out. The yeah. microbiome is going to be yeah. a big buzzword. Probiotics are already big. Prebiotics are going to be the next big thing. And a guy that I interviewed for one of my uh, other books on on sort of the new bread revolution, is he said that he was a researcher in a children's hospital f- focusing on digestive disorders and all. And he said... They've come to the conclusion that most of the health issues that are that uh, the general population is experiencing uh, are all gut based. That if you heal the gut, you will heal most of these illnesses. Yeah. And and so I said, "Well, how do you heal the gut?" And he said, "Well, that's the million-dollar question." Right. Yeah. So, diving into some other
2: sort of chef-themed questions, we're curious about this idea of are chefs born chefs or is it is it just is it just in you, or or do you, you know, what are your thoughts on this the, at this point in your career?
3: You know, I don't know, I think, because I came into it late in my life. I mean, I like to co- I like to eat. I think that helps if you like food. Yeah. Although we have students that come in school that they're really fussy about their foods, and I go, why do you want to be a chef? You don't like mushrooms, you don't like raisins, you don't like, you know, the basic foods. But I but I, what I've learned is that people kind of grow out of that eventually. Uh, but, but I loved food as a young kid, and my breakthrough was Caesar salad. When, mm. The first time I had a Caesar salad made table side at a, I was about Eleven years old or twelve years old, my parents took me to this restaurant. They made a table side and I and my head blew off. It was just like yeah. nothing I'd ever had, and I watched the guy make it. And we went, and when we went home, they, over the next few days, my mom and I figured out how to make our own Caesar salad, and I became the designated Caesar salad guy in our house. Uh-huh. But that's about all I cooked until you know the, the, I got into college and I had to cook for myself a little bit, and then fell in with these vegetarian you know freaks, <laughs> and, and so and so. But but I think the seeds were planted, but I don't think that. I think a lot of us don't find out what our true path is until much later in life, mm-hmm. and and but we feel committed to something for various reasons, and then we might miss the signs. But one thing about cooking, that I think, that works for so many people is is that it's it's immediately rewarding. It's fairly teachable and learnable. It's not. Some people say I can, I burn water. I just don't know how to do it. But really, you can pretty much teach anyone. I they, bread is one that scares people because they're afraid of fermentation and yeast and this and that. I go. And so they think they can't make bread. But we've been able to teach a lot of people who had that fear how to do it. So I think it's a teachable skill. And then it's just all about, you know, do you connect with it? And that's why I think our theme today of craft was so important because people connect with many different kinds of craft. Cooking is just one of those crafts. And so I think my message has always been for people to – You know, kind of find the things that they're passionate about and and that they love to do and then commit totally to that to break through to this level of excellence Yeah. I mean I teach cooking and I tell my students while you're in a cooking school you need to learn all the skills and all the the techniques that you're going to learn in every class but find the one or two things that you love the most and then become an expert in those two things just so that you can become (laughs) an expert in something and understand what excellence is in that one thing because if you can break through to excellence in one thing it spills over into the other things that you do. Yeah. That's back to your Malcolm Gladwell, right? That's the 10,000 hours.
1: That's what yeah, that's what are true. what do you get? I mean it's and, yeah. and and that that finding excellence in something, I completely agree with that. Like um, I mean we were talking about this the other day like Matt and I have worked together so long. We've put our 10,000 hours in together. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so I and we feel really comfortable in this relationship and what we can do, and then that does that spills over into so many other
3: things. Right? Yeah, and and who, who knew? Uh, uh, that I I never would have thought as a kid that I, that I would be putting ten thousand hours into cooking or making right. bread. But you, you know, I kind of just with, without realizing it was you know was learning all of that. Um, but you have to love it to to put those kind of yeah. you have to love what you're doing, and I think a lot of people feel that they. They're duty bound to do those things. And so the passion and the joy is not there. And so they give up when they hit the inevitable wall. You're going to hit a wall sooner or later where it's not going to be easy anymore. The low-lying fruit will be gone and then you got to reach a little bit. So do you love it enough to reach? And, right. and we're lucky when we find something that we're willing to put in that extra effort for. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I'm going to forego my question. But one, uh, one thing I think that people are making that move back to, to cooking is so much of our relationships can be done online now. But eating together and and being side by side in a in a kitchen cooking together, yeah. that's one of those places that you can't do it with your cell phone in your hand, you know. For parents or for friends or for you know yeah. uh, partners, like it's one of the last truly communal activities that can't be uploaded to a computer.
3: Yeah, I mean, if there was one activity that uh, that would help families the most and help our next generation of kids, would be to say meal times are you know, uh, cell phone-free times. yeah. yeah, Let's let's have a meal together instead of like watching TV and doing five things at once. Let's use this. And because that is the time to connect. And uh, ultimately, the theme of all my books and everything that I write about uh, between the lines is this theme of connectedness. I Mm -hmm. think that that's really my, my message. If I go bring it back to my days, my ministry days and everything else, it's all about this notion that that the secret of life is to is to be connected to it. Yeah. And that and and actually uh, the word religion which I studied for a long time I never knew this until much later in my life that the word religion actually comes from a latin word that be, religio that means to be connected to. Mm. Nowhere in there does it say anything about god or faith or this. Right. it's to be connected to. And that's when I realized that that's really the sort of the the key was connection and for for me Food was a way to connect to something that I could, you know, like put my focus in, and then it opened up as I got really deep into it. Then it kind of deeper levels opened up the the metaphorical side of it, and then you know, sort of the philosophical side. All that opened up only after I was willing to commit to the literal side of it. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, so if connection is such a big part of cooking, um, we're also curious about the creativity side of this as well. In particular, with baking, we all know that baking is a science. Um, but we'd love to hear your role uh, of where creativity fits in to baking. How does how does the science part and the creativity part of baking sort of fit together in your eyes?
3: Well, we we find we find with bread especially because there is so much science in bread that um, that for a lot of people they thought I'm a creative type I don't need the science. Uh, but then and we let them you know just. Follow some recipes and do it. Don't think about the the science part of it. But when they get deeper into it, they want to know why. They want to know the why and the how. And and so science is really sort of new. It's new in the in the world. It's itself mm. as a as a as a as a theme. Uh, science didn't exist as a study mm. until you know the last couple hundred years. So so we're kind of still bringing those two worlds together. Uh, I think one can empower the other. Mm-hmm. But and they can exist independently from each other as well. But I think they're much stronger, just like gluten and gliadin. And gluten, yeah, you know, right. I mean, it could be stronger together. Uh, we see it, you know, in the culinary school. The students have they're there, but a lot of them because they're not academically gifted. They, they they like to cook, but they couldn't have gotten into maybe uh, you know an Ivy League college because that they, they weren't academically bent. Uh, and so they come. And myself, I I didn't have any interest in science as a kid. I was more interested in the arts. And so. Um, and so I didn't think about it. I avoided chemistry and, and physics and all that stuff. But then when I had a reason to learn it...
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because,
3: like, uh, you know, what's that? Victor Frankl always says that a, a person can accomplish any how if they have a why. Yes. Yeah. And so I didn't have a why for science until all of a sudden I needed to know to be able to explain it to my students why this all works. And all of a sudden I got, like, intrigued by it, and I found out I was good at explaining it once I understood it. And that's why I ended up being able to write books about it. So wow. I guess that's the writer part of me is wanting to be able to explain it. And so... Finally I have a Y for the science Beautiful. part. And that yeah. really
1: is a gift. Like even on those cooking competitions, it's funny to see the parts where the savory portions, they're you know, they're just throwing ingredients together, cooking, and everything's great. And then they get to the dessert round and it involves baking yeah. and half of the chefs fall apart.
3: That's where you they know? that's where they that's where they <laughs> get cut. That's where they get chopped. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so cooking and and baking, we were talking earlier about um, you know how universal it's become the fact that more and more people are involved in it you're seeing people that especially men i know are, are starting to like my father once he retired he now wants to cook mm. all the time where he had no real interest in it how does that make you feel as someone who's dedicated their lives you know their life to to this practice
3: well i think it's great i mean it's not uh, it, it's not like there's plenty of room for food you know and and room mm. for people who like to cook we think that um You know, we see a lot of restaurants exist, you know, coming into existence, a lot of people are not cooking, even though there's people that Mm -hmm. like your dad who like to cook. If you added it all up, there are probably less people with cooking skills in the country right now percentage wise than 100 years ago when everybody needed to know how to cook to survive Mm -hmm. because there weren't it wasn't easy, you know, to get food. So uh, they even found in some studies that when the Food Network was at its peak for ratings, it was also at the peak of people going out to eat but not cooking at home. Mm. Very few people were using the food network to inspire them to cook. Some were, but not the way you would think. And so um, it's, it spurred interest in food, and eventually it kind of comes full circle. So I I'm excited about. It. I mean, people have asked me, how do you what do you feel about bread machines? I mean, it makes you know, like throwing a packet in a machine is that good or bad for the bread world? Because you're into like artisan bread. I said, but you know, if it gets people interested in having fresh baked bread, because the people who designed the bread machines, they understood the science of bread making, they understood how long fermentation should take place and what temperatures, it's all about time and temperature and yeah. ingredients. They programmed it to do a really good job. So if that's what it takes for them to make fresh hot you know, hot baked bread in the morning uh, when they wake up and have the machine kind of like time to give you fresh bread, I'm all for that. And many of those people then move on and go, okay, now I want to figure out how to yeah. do it from scratch. Yeah. And that's when they can buy my book, you know? Yeah, so yeah. it works. in <laughs> I, well, I, like, I like that. Plug. Long, that was as awesome. As long as I get into the bread, I win. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's <Yeah>. great. <laughs> and that hits our sweet spot too. We're all about using creativity, but also being able to make a li- uh, a livelihood with it. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's tough.
2: All right. A couple final questions here for you. One is, I'm going to talk about the ingredient of passion. How vital is that ingredient of passion toward culinary success?
3: I asked Chris Bianco that, the pizza guy that I spoke about today who's this famous poster boy of the pizza world, because if anybody could exhibit the 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 principle of passion in his work it's him and he says you know i'm not that big of a fan of the word passion anymore he said i used to think it was all about passion he said but what i realized is this is, is a passion can only get you so far mm-hmm. if you don't have you can't back it up with knowledge and skill and technique mm. and all of that uh then you're just a guy who's on fire with an idea but you can't really execute it mm-hmm. so i but i think it is a necessary but not sufficient ingredient right uh because it does sustain you and I, and that's the other part the honeymoon's going to end for anything that you're excited about and then and then you find out how much you really care about it and love mm-hmm. it so i think caring is another parallel word to passion mm-hmm. uh, that we talked about today and this notion of caring maybe needs to be reemphasized uh as sort of the companion to passion because that's what really drives you to to continue on when you hit the plateaus or yeah. when or when it, you're not making any money at it i mean yeah. what drives a, you know what drives an unemployed actor to stay with the acting business yeah. instead of becoming a full-time waiter or waitress yeah. Or yeah.
1: just listen to i mean i was listening to, watched a documentary last night with Tignataro and just talking about bombing on stage night after night for two years but never being happier in her life until she hit her stride yeah and, yeah. and figured it all out
3: yeah yeah i mean uh it helps when you have like someone who's charted that path for you too. Because if this, if you've read that if you're stand up and you know it takes ten years to finally like hit your peak, then you don't get you don't give up at three years. You go I still have seven more years to yeah, get there. Yeah. Yeah. But if you didn't know that, you would think oh, I'll never be good at this, yeah. and, and you and you give up. So you mentioned
1: earlier, and, and this has been a, such a blessing for our city. But but when Johnson and Wales came to to Charlotte and you were on the advance guard, um, looking at it fourteen years in. I mean, because I remember that, the announcement, it was like, you know, it was huge, but so many people scratching their heads over it too. Like, why? Over those 14 years, what has, what do you think Johnson and Wales has given Charlotte? And then conversely, what do you think Charlotte has given
3: to Johnson & Wales. Uh, yeah, it's good. Um, a lot of people don't realize that Johnson & Wales is not just a culinary school. You know, we've got a right. business college there. We've got a hospitality Great management hospitality college. Program, yeah. So we have all these different things. Now we give degrees even in uh, liberal arts. Mm. So we have more than culinary, but we're known for the culinary. And and uh, and it's been good for Johnson & Wales because it, those programs have allowed the school to grow and thrive. And that's the reason that Charlotte brought us here. It was not for our business college. They brought us here for the culinary because they wanted us to train a generation of talented chefs who could elevate the culinary scene in Charlotte. And uh, we kept telling them, okay, but be patient because it takes five to 10 years for a graduate to hit their stride as well and to actually be able to make a difference. But in the meantime, we can be providing a workforce for the already good chefs that are here. And and it's played, it played out pretty well that way. Yeah. But now we're starting to see some of our uh, alums our grads uh, making a name for themselves uh, mm-hmm. someone like Joe kindred at Davidson yeah. you know phenomenal restaurant nationally known restaurant um, heirloom restaurant and some of the others that are that are popping up here and there now those are being helmed by some of our our graduates so we're seeing that finally after 14 years that generation is beginning to step into a leadership role so but you just have to be patient um, so I think we've contributed and and most people will will concede that the culinary scene has definitely improved here mm-hmm. um, and it's an uphill stream in a city that really loves steakhouses houses and and uh, you know fast food and everything else to find a way to also you know f- elevate that uh, so it's been a, a, a I think a learning process and then but from the Johnson & Wales standpoint of course it's been great for us Number one, first thing is we were embraced by mm-hmm. the city of Charlotte. That sense of welcoming was so strong that it made us want to be here. It made me want to be here, as opposed to one of our other cities. I lived in Providence, where the original campus yeah. was, and if you didn't grow up in Providence or weren't part of the old guard of Providence, you know you've had you felt like an outsider. You always felt like an outsider. Within a year of moving down here, I felt very comfortable uh, and have been being accepted. I know that, you know, uh, I started actually meeting people who were lifelong Charlotteans or were born here. Um, and maybe it took longer to win them over because they were like, you know, who are all these <laughs> northerners coming in here? But, 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 but the spirit was there. You know? And also I think the, the notion, the, the, the realization that the city needed this infusion of creative talent in this particular area, culinary, just as they would need – any city would need an infusion of uh, talent in the theater side of things, in performing arts. Yeah. Because every city, every great city has to have great performing arts, has to have great food has to have great museums, and that was the master plan that's what brought us here that the, when they sold Johnson & Wales on coming to Charlotte is because they showed us what they no. the blueprint for a great American city and they wanted us to be part of one of the missing pieces of that puzzle and we're watching the theater scene and the museum scene and the art scene it's all of those things are, are fleshing this out and little by little establishing I mean now now the big problem is is we need bigger roads to handle yeah. all these mm-hmm. new people that are coming here you know yeah. By so, the way,
2: when you get back up to, to to Providence, do you ever go to New York lunch, get some of those wieners, or the the Gagas?
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the New York system wieners. The system, New York oh, system yeah, wieners. Yes, yes. yes, yes the, with the celery salt on top. Yeah, yeah. And, stuff. Yeah. and they're like little red, skinny yes, little yes. things. And you can eat, you, you you can't eat less than six. Yes, if you, exactly. If you eat less than six, you, you're you doesn't yes, do yes. But if
2: you get them to go, your car will smell <laughs> like like New York system wieners
3: for <laughs> weeks. Yes, smell Absolutely. like onions and turmeric based mustard. Yes,
2: exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly.
3: Uh, but, maybe, but, I love, but I do love them. Right. Perhaps
2: a Johnson Wales uh, graduate is behind some of those uh, creations, <laughs> Pro- or perhaps not. Somewhere along the way. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're gonna have to hit a buffet. Soon. Yes, exactly. Well, let's 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 uh, let's hit Peter with the final question so that we can all go finally eat. Go get, uh, let's go get some pizza. What advice? We ask all of our podcast uh, guests this final question. Um, what advice do you have for Charlotte?
3: Hmm. Advice to Charlotte. I think a lot about this notion that I think one of the um, most dynamic parts of this city is the multicultural aspect mm-hmm. of it, and the influence of the um, of the ethnic restaurants has been as profound or more profound than the fine dining influence that Johnson and Wales has had. Yeah. And I think that uh, to embrace that and to realize that the that the culinary identity of Charlotte. It, which is one, only one of our identities, but it's, a, it's a, so many cities build their reputations on their culinary identity. It's not going to be through creating these destination restaurants. It's going to be by embracing this, the, the flavor palettes that have been brought in by all of these, the Asian, the Latin American, the, the Indian restaurant, all these ethnic yeah. restaurants. Um, and that, I think, really is our cultural identity in yeah. a great way. So to, to be patient with that, to support it, to support it as much as you can and um, and to be open to what positive effect that can have on us that would be that, I, I don't know if that's the best piece of advice for you to see, but it's the I thing think i think about a lot a- i think it's pretty remarkable advice
2: yeah i mean is you're you're actually calling for citizens to be more adventurous and get out and and discover and taste for themselves the diversity that our city it right. truly yeah. is made, a, made from, and those yeah.
3: flavors can open you up to a world to the worldviews of the people that are bringing you those flavors. I, I teach a course on food and culture, and the, the notion, the, the premise of the courses is that you can understand the culture of a people by understanding their food. Mm-hmm. It's like a window that yeah. takes you into that culture, and then you then you can understand when a person expresses something in a different way than you express it, where where it's coming from, because yeah. you 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 can appreciate. I always say uh, reverence uh, reverence the reverences of others, not the things they revere, and so mm-hmm. and that is all about appreciation. Yeah. So I yeah. think it really comes down to that word appreciation.
2: Beautiful,
1: and I, I think it gets back to that connection too. It's just another you know people feel comfortable talking about food, you know, and so the more the more you 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 have a
3: varied palate and you know what they what a different culture will eat. Then that's, you've got some you've got true. some place to start. <laughs> that's true, you know. And best way to start it, if you're new to a town, the best way to start a conversation is ask, "Where can I get a good pizza?" or "Where can I get a good taco?" or "Where can I get a good you know bowl of." Pasta, whatever that question can open up everything. For oh, yeah.
1: and you're going to get some strong opinions you, too. Yeah. <laughs> but,
3: and, and that, but that's how the, the dialogue and the connection begins. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Have you found a good chili, chili uh, uh,
3: Philly cheesesteak in in Charlotte yet? Well, I've had a couple. I haven't had that many of them. I mean, the the what is it called? The hoagie, the steak and hoagie shop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, out there and uh, on the and is it on Wendover? I think. Yes. Uh, uh, or Eastover. The, I think that makes a pretty darn good cheesesteak. Yep. I was I was impressed with that one. Um, I tend to go, you know what I go for is a um, a quesadilla for me. A good, well-made quesadilla hits on the same flavor notes as a really good cheesesteak. Oh, mm. interesting. I like, a, like a steak, a carne asada yeah. quesadilla. Yeah. It's kind of like a cheesesteak, so that that's one way to kind right, of so get where the you, fix. Where, where <laughs> are you going for, for quesadilla then? Well, one of the places, I mean, there's, there's a few good Mexican plenty of good Mexican restaurants. Yeah. One of the places that we stumbled on early on, and we still go back to it and still love, is uh, Taqueria, Mexico on South Boulevard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in it's there. had a few ownership changes. Yeah. They've, they've uh, freshened up the decor in there. Uh, sea- they have a seafood soup there that I that you could die for. It's so good. But I go just get the tacos there, and I, it's yeah. very, very satisfying. And, and everything there is good.
2: Peter, thanks for being sort of our guide on our tour of the uh, the theme be, of craft I'll be your this month. Culinary Virgil. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it has been so great to, to chat with you here, to have you on the Creative Morning stage. And it's just awesome to call you a fellow Charlatan, quite
3: well, frankly. Thank you so yeah, much. So, I feel honored to be one.
2: Yeah. Right. So, anyway, thanks for thanks, listening. Peter. Definitely go to charlottetiscreative.com to watch the Peter's talk. Um, there will also be a sort of a sort of a uh, what we call a two minute sh- uh, Creative Mornings rewind Ooh. version
1: filmed in OrthoVision filmed in vision.
2: <laughs> thank you North Carolina. Uh, that we'll be putting out too sort of a teaser of the full video and the full video of the talk will be available soon as well Andy Go, our, our podcast producer it's go time it's time to go get lunch it's time yeah. to go get lunch that's exactly <laughs> right. right bon appetit so we'll, we'll uh, check we'll catch you all next month again alright beautiful it. thank you thank you
0: Thanks again to Peter Reinhardt for speaking with us and thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the Charlotte is Creative podcast. Let us know what you think by tweeting us at CM underscore CLT and using the hashtag Charlotte is Creative. Register for the next Creative Morning Charlotte event Friday morning, July 13th at 8.30 a.m. at the Fillmore Charlotte. The featured speaker will be Bryce Lager, owner of Basil Coffee, the recently opened coffee shop at Laka Projects, speaking about the global theme of intention. RSVPs will open at 9 a.m. Monday, July 9th. For more information from Charlotte is Creative, check out charlotteiscreative.com.